Greetings fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. It's been a while, but I'm back, and with the only Austro-Hungarian ship in the game, and the only European battleship in the game as well, and that ship is Viribus Unitis. At least I think that's how you say it, it's Latin, and this is a tier 5 premium battleship. Now this ship had a rather depressing history, and it's only famous because of its rather unfortunate end. Or, I wouldn't say only famous because of its rather unfortunate end, but that's one of the main reasons why it is famous. Now this ship is a Tegetenhof class, I think that's how you say it, Tegetenhof class battleship, and although it was the first one made, which doesn't really follow trends because usually the first ship made in the class is the name of the class, but I guess not with the Austro-Hungarian dreadnoughts. So it is not the Viribus Unitis class, but it is the Tegetnoff class. And it was ordered in 1908, and it was laid down on July 24th, 1910, and launched June 24th, 1911, which is actually a very quick turnaround for a battleship. Usually it takes much, much longer for a battleship to be constructed to the point where it is able to be launched, but not with the Austro-Hungarians. It was commissioned on December 5th, 1912, and spent most of its life in the Adriatic Sea. Actually, pretty much all of its life in the Adriatic Sea. But let's get on to the characteristics of this battleship. Now, she had a displacement of 20,000 tons standard, a length of 498 feet 8 inches, which is actually fairly short for a battleship. And for you hipsters who use the metric system, that is 152 meters. She had a beam of 91 feet 6 inches, so 27.9 meters. She had a draft of 28 feet 7 inches, or 8.7 meters. So she is a fairly compact battleship in most case or by most standards and this allows her to be armored better than most other battleships or have most of her length be armored and she had 27 Yarrow boilers installed and they produced 27,000 shaft horsepower she had four shafts and four Parsons steam turbines so she was ahead of her time in the fact that she used steam turbines rather than having reciprocating engines which this was actually ahead of the US Navy because at the time the US Navy was constructing dreadnought battleships that still had reciprocating engines which means that the engine is more of a traditional piston or what you think on a steam locomotive versus just having like a turbine that's more like what you would see on a hydroelectric dam. However, short and fat ships are slow ships, which means that she could only have a speed of 20.4 knots that was indicated on her trials. She had a range of 4,200 nautical miles, which is not much for a battleship because most battleships have around 10,000 nautical mile range, so 4,200 is like half that, which is uh, 7,800 kilometers for you hipsters who use the metric system. And that was at 10 knots, which is fairly standard. She had a complement, so a crew of 32 officers, 16 petty officers, and 983 enlisted. And she had an armament of four triple 305 mil guns, which is a 12-inch gun, 
For her secondary armament, she had 12 single 150mm or 5.9 inch guns, along with 12 single 70mm or 2.8 inch guns, 3 single 66mm AA guns, 2 66mm landing guns, and 4 533mm or 21 inch torpedoes, which I'm pretty sure those were submerged and below the waterline, which meant they weren't used that much. So her armor consisted of, or at least for her, belts, barbettes, turrets, and conning tower, 11 inches or 279 millimeters. The deck had 1.4 inches or 36 millimeters of armor, which is really tough for a battleship of her time, which would mean that if she was to engage in a firefight, she would likely be a tough nut to crack. And this armor was spread out across the entire length of the ship, so she was very, very tough. At least by that time standards. She would not be very tough for a ship in the 1940s or so, but this was a World War I battleship, or a pre-World War I battleship. So, we now venture into the history of this Austro-Hungarian warship. Now, she actually carried Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria uh, from the... Er, from the capital, I'm assuming. It doesn't really say, or at least sources don't indicate where he was coming from. But he was in route to Bosnia to observe some military training maneuvers. After he was done observing these maneuvers, he boarded Viribus Unitas in Tristi Harbor to travel to the mouth of the Tuva River, I think that's how you pronounce it, and then he transferred to another vessel. However, on June 30th, and this is in 1914, this is two days after Fernardland and his wife were assassinated, Viribus Unitas carried their bodies back to Triste Harbor to be transported back to the capital for their uh, funeral ceremonies. What's really sad is this ship did see limited service in World War I, and that was due to the Otranto or Otranto Barrage, which was set up in the mouth of the Adriatic Sea to prevent the Austro-Hungarian Navy from escaping the Adriatic Sea and causing uh, head pains for the British and French navies, along with the Italian navies. And it worked very successfully, and as a result, the battleship hardly after left the Austro-Hungarian naval port of Pola. However, on the eve before the breakout of World War I, the Austro-Hungarian Navy was, was mobilized to help the two German battleships, Goben and Borussia, out of the Straits of Messina. I think that's how you pronounce this Italian name. And this was because it was surrounded by enemy troops and vessels and would just be a whole bunch of bad for the ships if the war were to come while they were in the Straits. However, the Germans successfully broke out of Messina, or the Straits of Messina, without the Austro-Hungarian assistance, so the Austro-Hungarian Navy returned back to port. Viribus Unitas also participated in the bombardment of Anacona, yeah, Anacona? Yeah, Anacona in 1915. This was a campaign designed to incapacitate Italian naval or military and civilian targets along the Italian coastline, and it was very successful. But Viribus Unitas remained in Pola for the rest of the, or most of the remainder of the war. And this is because of that Otranto barrage, which was keeping the Austro-Hungarian ships in the Adriatic Sea. 
However, there was one exciting operation that Viribus Unitis took part in, and that was the Untranto Raid. And this was essentially a last-ditch attempt to break the Untranto Barrage by the Austro-Hungarian Navy. And essentially what happened is the commander of the Austrian fleet took his ships out of the naval station at Pola and was going to conduct a head-on attack with the Untranto Barrage. And that was foiled by dumb luck on the Italian Navy's part. And that was uh, two torpedo boats had sighted the uh, Austrian fleet and decided to engage in what should have been a suicide run. However, they managed to slip past the Austrian escorts and began to play very fiercely with the dreadnoughts. They failed to hit uh, to Getenhof, which is one of the dreadnoughts they attacked. Mind you, there were four dreadnoughts in this fleet. And... They hit Zent Istvan, uh, and it began to sink. However, they were able to take Zent Istvan under tow by Tegetnov, and that didn't work. So they decided to abandon efforts to save the battleship and just let it sink while getting as many crew off as they possibly could. And this was at 3.15 a.m. that the Italians had attacked. And by 6, the Cezent Istvan had completely sunk. And this was dumb luck because the Italian Navy had no idea that this was actually happening. It was just the two torpedo boats. What the Austro-Hungarian admiral thought is that the Italian Navy had discovered his plans for the raid and decided to, what he thought, very wisely turn around and go back to Pola, which is kind of, kind of what the Italian Navy tended to do in World War II. I wonder if there's any correlation there. However, this was quite on the contrary in the fact that the Italian Navy had no idea what was going on because the torpedo boats apparently failed to inform their higher-ups that anything had happened. And it was only discovered that the Austro-Hungarian fleet was gone when aerial reconnaissance photographs of the naval station at Pola revealed that they weren't there. Oops, that was a little bit of a failure in uh, intelligence on the Italian part, but resulted in no harm, miraculously. And that was the end of Viribus Unitis' career in World War I, actually career in general, because at the end of the war, or just before the end of the war, Austria-Hungary realized that they were going to lose, so they decided to transfer their entire navy to the newly formed state of Slovenes, Croats, and Serbs, which was, I think, Yugoslavia, or would become Yugoslavia. And they transferred it on October 31st, 1918, and on November 1st, 1918, uh, two Italian Navy uh, divers decided that it would be fun to blow up some dreadnoughts and attached two limpet mines to the hull of Eviribus Unitis, newly renamed Yugoslavia. They detonated the mines, or Maria Timer detonated the mines, and Yugoslavia proceeded to sink within 15 minutes of the detonation, which is extremely quick for a battleship. So that is the end of the history section on this episode of the only Austro-Hungarian ship in the game. A bit of a one-man band, if I were to say myself. So please stick around for a message from our sponsor and the World of Warships section of this episode. Welcome back, Captains, to the second half of today's episode on the only Austro-Hungarian ship in World of Warships. Now, let's talk about the World of Warships version of Viribus Unitis, and that starts with her specifications. 
So she has 35,700 hit points. She has a four three-gun turrets of 305mm guns. They have a 30-second reload, which is fairly standard. A 45-second 180-degree turn time, also standard. A firing range is 16 kilometers, also standard. Well, actually, no, that's pretty low. She has a maximum dispersion of 222 meters, which is okay. Her maximum HE shell damage is 4,200 hit points, which is decent. Chance of fire on target is 23%, decent. Initial HE shell velocity in her meters a second, which is also very decent. HE shell weight is 450 kilograms. The AP shell damage is 8,500 maximum damage. Initial H AP shell velocity is 800 meters a second, which is the same as the HE shells, and that's fairly standard. And she has AP shell weight of 450 kilograms. Her mediocre secondary armament consists of 12 one-gun turrets of 150mm guns. The firing range is 4 kilometers, which is standard. Reload time is 10 seconds, which isn't great. And maximum damage is 2200, which for the 10 second reload time is not great either. Initial HE shell velocity is 880 meters a second, which isn't much of an improvement over the main guns. And chance of fire on target is 11%, which is actually fairly decent. The AA defense it consists of four 70mm guns with an average damage per second of 8.8 .8, and a firing range of 3 kilometers, which is pretty horrific for a battleship. The concealment is 12.5 kilometers base. Near detectability range is 6.82 kilometers, which is very, very stealthy for a battleship. This means that you can sneak up on basically anybody because they're not going to know that you're coming, or any battleship, that's for certain. You're not going to sneak up on any destroyers or anything, but you will sneak up on battleships and some cruisers at your matchmaking spread. Alright, so now that you know the specs of the ship, let's get into the pros and cons of the ship. So one pro is the fact that she has a very, very heavy broadside for her size. She's a very small battleship for, I guess, Tier 5, and her heavy broadside certainly helps. And the accuracy of the guns is very accurate. There is very little spread in the guns, which is 220 meters, so that's not too bad for any battleship, and it's very good for a Tier 5 battleship. She has a very good armor, and that's comparing to other World War I-era uh, dreadnoughts uh, at her tier. And this is not going to stand up to some Tier 7 bombardment from, like, uh, let's say, a Colorado. Colorado will just straight up overmatch the armor and Citadel you from the front. However, she will punish any cruisers and resist their return fire and any lower-tier battleships. And for that matter, same-tier battleships. She is very resistant to her their fire. She has a very good rudder shift time, and I neglected to tell the specifics of that. So she has a maximum speed of 20.5 knots, and she has a turning circle radius of 530 meters, which is very tight, and a rudder shift time of 11.5 seconds, which is very quick for a battleship. Not for a destroyer, but definitely for a battleship, she is very maneuverable. And this will aid her in actually dodging shells which is quite interesting. Not many battleships can do that. And she can also dodge bombs, which not many battleships can do that. And her secondary battery, while not being re very reliable, is has good damage and has a good fire chance. They do hit pretty hard, and their fire chance is fairly high. So if something does venture close enough for them to be used, you will see that it will start doing reliable damage to them. 
And she has excellent concealment. She has the best concealment out of any battleship at her tier, and for that matter, any battleship in her matchmaking spread, I believe. I do not know of a battleship that has a better detectability radius than her. I believe you can get it down to like 10 kilometers, which is extraordinarily good for a battleship. Means you can sneak up on just about anybody as far as battleships and even some cruisers are concerned. And you might be thinking, well, I got a heavy broadside, I got very good armor, good accuracy on my guns, a sort of reliable secondary battery, but that's not used at tier 5 that much. I got good rudder shift time, and I'm very, very sneaky. What's not to love about this battleship? Well, there is a few things about this battleship. The main battery firing angles are horrific, meaning you're going to have to show a lot of broadside, which means the flat side of your ship, to the enemy, which therefore makes your armor kind of useless and will get you citadeled by anything that's higher than tier 6, actually. Most things higher than tier 6 will be able to citadel you if you're broadside. And the main battery firing range is also very short. It's only around 16 kilometers, which isn't that great for a battleship. I mean, there is a shorter main battery firing ranges, but this is fairly short. It's nothing special. The secondary armament is also very short-ranged. It's only 4 kilometers, and it really is not going to do anything for you, so... Building a secondary build ship is not recommended. The health pool is extremely small. Most cruisers will dwarf that health. Well, actually, not most cruisers, but there are some cruisers out there that will make you look like nothing as far as health concerned, which is very, very dangerous for battleship because battleships are meant to take damage in their health pool. And she has a poor speed of only 20.5 knots, which I know a lot of people are going to go, well, that's not that bad because the base speed of U.S. battleships is only 18 knots. Yeah, but they upgrade to like 21 knots, so this is not very good. And that's just not one of the strong points as far as this battleship's concerned. And the anti-aircraft armament is a joke. I mean, it is only like four guns, and they have a damage per minute or damage per second of like eight, so they're really not even going to do anything against Langley rocket bombers. Langley rocket bombers can overfly this thing for a few minutes without it, any of them being lost to the AA guns, so they're basically useless. Don't you may as well turn them off to save concealment, but that wouldn't do anything because the concealment is worse than the AA firing range. That's how bad the firing range is. Now that low health pool is offset by a special heal, which uh, heals 30% of your damage taken rather than 10% of your damage taken. I believe that's as far as armor piercing is concerned. So that is very, very useful with a ship that does not have much health to begin with. However, once you run out of those charges, you will be screwed if you have taken up too much damage. So, let's roll straight into the optimal configuration of the upgrades. So in slot 1, pretty standard main armaments modification 1, which is just going to help uh, increase the survivability of your main batteries, make sure they aren't disabled so you can keep firing. Now in slot 2, damage control system modification 1, which is going to reduce your chance of fire and flooding on the ship, and that's pretty standard for most battleships because it is very useful. You could also go with steering gears modification because that is one of the ship's strengths, and the steering gears modification is just going to keep your steering from going out. 
Now the aiming systems modification one should be put in slot three because it reduces the dispersion of main battery shells. Get that very good dispersion, so a very good inaccuracy chance on your shells uh, down even more. And I, some people will put that secondary build on there so that secondary modification but I really don't recommend it because your secondary battery's only got a range of four kilometers and ideally nothing should get that close to your battleship. All right, so now we are gonna go on to commander skills. And this is fairly standard for most battleships. There are a few things that might be a little interesting for most, or a little different for most battleships, but other than that, it's fairly standard. So you're gonna wanna take the priority target first in your first slot. In your second slot, you're going to want to take Adrenaline Rush, which is going to reduce the reload of your shells because one of the huge strong points of the ship is the amount of guns that it has. You're going to want to take the Superintendent in slot 3, and that's going to put an additional charge on your consumables. Most notably, where that's going to play is the damage repair party consumable which is your heal and that's very useful because this only has 35,000 health which is horrific for a battleship it's like 35,700 health there are cruisers that have more health than that most cruisers in fact have more health than that which is embarrassing for a battleship but you can kind of fix that kind of counteract that by having that good heal and if you put an extra charge on there that's really that's going to really come in handy so we get to the fourth slot now, and that is where things can kind of split and go both ways. Now, I really recommend going with Concealment Expert on this to reduce your concealment even further. Take an extra 10% off that concealment. Get it around, I think, 10.8 kilometers is what it's going to be. Uh, some people do like taking fire prevention on that, and that's going to reduce the risk of fire and reduce the maximum amount of fires on a ship to three. And this is very good for a ship that doesn't have a whole lot of health. Those fires, even though they don't take much damage, are going to quickly add up because even normal penetrations from 8-inch guns on cruisers will feel like a huge hit in this ship because of its lackluster health pool. Or not even lackluster, terrible health pool. Another skill that I might recommend taking, although it's not super necessary, is the survivability expert. And that's going to give you 350 extra ship HP for each ship tier. So that's going to get you a grand total of 1,750 extra HP, which is like one armor piercing over penetration from a, like a 12-inch gun. So that's really not that much, but I mean, hey, it's an extra 1,000 health. It can be useful. So... Now we get to the flags you want to fly. The only one I really recommend is the one that helps. I think it's India Delta. That improves your damage con or damage repair party consumable. It helps you rec recover more health. And I also recommend any... I think, oh geez, I don't remember what it is. India something. It prevents uh, fires, and I also recommend the one that prevents floods as this ship takes damage from pretty much everything. So... How do you actually play this ship? Well, there's a few different ways you can play it. You can play it as a traditional battleship, and that will work, but if you're in a Tier 7 battle, you will get killed fairly quickly, because if you're brawling with another battleship, let's say, I don't know, uh, Ganais now, you will get your butt handed to you on a silver platter, because this ship just cannot do it. It cannot brawl with other ships that are capable of putting out way more damage than it can, and taking way more damage than it can. It will have issues with that. Now the ship plays the best when it is played like a cruiser. 
and that's kind of weird. I know it's a battleship, but remember, it's got low health pool, it's small, and it's got fairly decent firepower. So it kind of does play like a battlecruiser. So what does that entail? Well, that kind of entails sticking by your other battleships, which might have better anti-aircraft, sticking by your other cruisers, which will have better anti-aircraft power than you, and just kind of sticking by them and hoping that the enemy might shoot at them rather than shoot at you, because you really don't want to get shot at in this ship, especially if you're in a tier 7 match, and this is only a tier 5 ship. So this will allow you to last longer in the battle, and this ship in the end of the battle is deadly, because most of the other ships in the end of the battle are either going to be cruisers that haven't really played that much, or battleships on extremely low health. And this ship is good at taking out both of those. Now, it will take out cruisers from its maximum range because it doesn't have that much of a dispersion. So you really want to, in the beginning of the battle, find those cruisers. If you find those cruisers, you will be able to take them out because remember, these are only 12-inch guns. 12-inch guns will not over-penetrate as easily as, say, 14- or 16-inch guns, which means you're going to get more reliable penetrations and citadel hits dishing out more damage. This ship doesn't really do super well against destroyers, but that's just kind of all battleships. They don't really like to deal with destroyers. However, this will deal with destroyers better than most battleships because of its tight turning circle radius and uh, fast rudder shift time. This will allow you to dodge torpedoes much easier than most other battleships, causing frustrations for most destroyers. And this should buy you enough time to load the HE shells and take care of whatever destroyer is bothering you. Like I said, battleships, I really would avoid brawling in this ship at all costs. This ship is not a brawler. It does not enjoy fighting in close quarters. However, at longer ranges, maybe with a German battleship that doesn't have as good accuracy, you could get away with shooting against another battleship. I would avoid it at all costs, but you could. I really would not take a fight with an Imperial Japanese Navy battleship because of the fact that their guns are fairly accurate, or at least most of the time, and they're long range and they're quick battleships, which means you can run or they can run circles around you. It's just not cool. However, like I said, those cruisers are juicy targets. So what's the gist of the ship? Focus on the cruisers, stay at longer range, and Keep one eye on your health pool at all times. That is your biggest weakness, is your lack of health. Do not brawl. That is not going to get you anywhere. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of Rank Amateur. The support for the show is growing at an exponential rate, and it is just great to see that. If you'd like to comment on this episode or any other episode or suggest a ship to review in a future episode, uh, shoot an email to rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out the merchandise in the description of this episode, and I will hopefully see you in a fortnight. And until next time, Captains... (laughs) 